Hey, everybody, this is Bob Goodwin, and welcome to another episode of Career Club Live. Thank you so much for joining. If you happen to be watching us on YouTube, please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. It really does help. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by our newest service, Next Placement. If you're an HR professional and you're dealing with either layoffs or having to transition employees, we'd really encourage you to take a minute to learn more about Next Placement, where we're bringing a more people-centric, empathetic approach to helping folks who are caught up in career transition by bringing mental health services, emotional intelligence coaching, and deep community. We know that we're helping people move on to what's next, not just focusing on who's out. So with that, uh, I'm excited to introduce our guest today. It's Kevin McDonald, and Kevin is a VP People Services and Insights for the EW Scripts Company. If uh, you don't know that name off the top of your head, that's okay. Kevin's going to share some of the brands I know you are familiar with uh, that fall under the EW Scripts umbrella. Kevin's a frequent conference speaker and industry resource on HR transformation. Um, he's going to be sharing his expertise on managing through change. Uh, the, he's built the airplane in flight several times. Uh, also, we're going to talk about the role of analytics in HR, which I think is really a fascinating topic. And then lastly, a healthy dose of career advice. So with that, Kevin, welcome. Hey, Bob, how are you? I am doing fine, sir. It's uh, so good to see you. So uh, where do we find you today? From my home office in uh, Fairfield, Ohio, which is about 20 miles north of uh, Cincinnati. Awesome. Well, that kind of probably leads us to an easy thing is uh, uh, folks who have listened to our podcast before know I love to ask just a handful of questions to help people get to know you as a human being first, and then we'll kind of dive into all the worky stuff. So uh, Cincinnati, are you born and raised in Cincinnati or? Born and raised in Cincinnati. I uh, lived, uh, I think, in 10 places by the time I was 18. So I've lived <laughs> all over the city. My mom still manages apartments. And so that's we moved wherever she uh was what was working at the time. So I've, awesome. I've lived all over the city. That's cool. So this is a loaded question for a Cincinnati person, but where'd you go to school? So I graduated from Roger Bacon High School. So I'm a GCL kid. Awesome. And uh, for college? So I, I, I was a, a non-traditional student. I started working right after high school and uh, ended up getting uh, my, uh, ma uh, I'm sorry, my bachelor's degree from uh, Thomas More. So awesome. Catholic school right across the river in Northern Kentucky. No, that's excellent. So for anybody who's not from Cincinnati, when you ask where somebody went to school in Cincinnati, that is code for where'd you go to high school? <laughs> so, college is a separate question. Absolutely. And then, a little bit, Kevin, about your family. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife, Sandra and I are going to be celebrating 25 years next March. Congratulations. That is a long time to put up with me, Bob. I just, <laughs> so statehood certainly awaits her. Um, we have two uh, kids. Uh, my oldest, Cameron, is 23. And my youngest, my baby, is uh, just wrapping up her junior year of high school and she'll be a senior next year. Awesome. Well, you're way too young to have a 23-year-old. Um, <laughs> and then um, just real quickly, do you mind uh, painting people just a little bit of a picture of your career and, and sort of maybe some key stops along the way? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, I started in the workforce right out of high school. Um, I started at uh, Fifth Third Bank, um, which is a uh, uh, was a much smaller bank at that time. That was in 1995, um, dating myself now. And uh, it's it's ballooned into a, a truly a super regional bank now. <clears throat> 
But when I was there, we were really Ohio and Florida and Indiana and a little bit of Kentucky. That was it was pretty small uh, relatively, uh, but started in, in the employee file room, really just lucked out. Didn't didn't know I was getting into HR, didn't try to get into HR, um, just kind of lucked out. And the entry level position that was open was in the employee file room. So literally started um entering, you know, new hires into the system and, you know, data entry and then actually mm-hmm. literally creating the employee file, like the actual file. Um, so wow. and that's where I sat and that's what I did. And uh, after that, it was uh, just kind of opportunities knocked and I opened the door, um, you know, that that's which we'll, you know, we'll get into later. Uh, but people always ask me like, well, how did you get to, you know, various positions. It, that was it. Opportunities will knock and, and you have to be ready to answer even if you're terrified. So my, you know, my first job outside of the employee file room was dealing with retirement. So you have the 19 year old at that point, you know, dealing with 401k and pension. I, I you know, I hadn't even been born yet and I'm dealing with retirement stuff mm-hmm. uh, from, from a career standpoint, but uh, spent a lot of time in the benefits department. Um, doing a lot of things, um, actually transitioned for about a year over to our corporate tax department um, because that's where the equity compensation program mm. was managed. Um, our, our SVP of corporate tax at that time uh, owned that. Um, realized that uh, it was great experience, but I am not an accountant and I do not like taxes. So <laughs> I was like, okay, it's time to get back into HR. So I uh, got back into HR operations and did a lot of outsourcing, uh, just a lot of project work, and uh, spent eleven years, at, a little over eleven years at Fifth Third before I uh, joined Scripps in two thousand seven, and uh, have been here since. Uh, and uh, so going on fifteen years now. Couple quick things, just on your background. I love the non-traditional, mm-hmm. right? So you you joined the workforce right out of high school without uh, having college yet, which um, you know I for me personally is really interesting to hear because you know, there's so much talent out there that doesn't have a four-year degree. And yeah, that's cool. Second thing that you said was, um, you, you know, you, you just sort of kind of air quote fell into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And as young people, like we don't always know what we want. Mm-hmm. So something you just need to try stuff. It's like kids with band instruments or sports. Like you just need to try stuff. Right. You like you tried accounting, not so much. Went back to HR because you knew that you liked that. Mm-hmm. And then last thing that you said that, that sort of strikes me is that just the opening the door when opportunity knocks and not being afraid to take a chance. And can I really do this? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. But but you've got to open those doors. And I think it's also a credit to you that those doors will be knocked on. So clearly you're doing good work. When um, when you're not at work, uh, what do we find you doing? Ooh, uh, I, I, I don't have the ability to say no easily to people. So the answer to that is a lot. So uh, I am uh, in my 12th year now coaching uh, high school basketball at Fairfield. Uh, it started way back when my oldest daughter was uh, was playing in middle school and I just stuck with it and and, and continued to coach. Um, so yeah, entering my twelfth year this year um, with with that. Uh, my youngest daughter is a uh, cheerleader and has been for for years. So I'm you know cheer dad, but also she's in uh, uh, Fairfield Show Choir programs, which are uh, quite honestly known throughout the country for um, how successful they are. And I'm one of the tech dads 
um, which basically means I'm a roadie. Um, we get to <laughs> move all their stuff and set it up and break it down in between shows and all, all that fun stuff. And she loves it. And it, it's it's um, it, it's really great to be able to be be involved with something that that she uh, loves and cherishes the way she does. Um, I'm also with uh, Tower House on their fatherhood committee. I've um, mm-hmm. been doing that for a few years now, which is um, a, a really great program um, about helping fathers reestablish themselves in their kids' lives. Um, and providing resources to do that. Uh, my, <clears throat> you know, my father, my biological father left when I was but a baby. So I, I grew up without a, you know, a true father. And so that that program is really near and dear to me. Um, and then uh, I would say last thing, I'm on the board of a, a nonprofit um, based here in Fairfield called the Purple Monkey Project. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to purplemonkeyproject.org and find out more information. Um, but um, it's it's uh, it was started um, due to the loss of a a friend of ours, um, their 10 year old daughter, Reagan. And, um, she was, a, a a serial spreader of joy in the community. And, and it was really started to, um, you know, continue on that legacy of spreading joy. And, and so we provide scholarships and awards and pay off school fees and just do, uh, different things, kind of acts of kindness in her name throughout the community. So, um, you know, very involved with that. And, I'm sure there's other stuff I'm forgetting, but that's probably enough. <laughs> well, well, I tell you what, I mean, that's that's why we like asking these questions, because I just learned some stuff about you I didn't know prior to this conversation. So, you know, you definitely seem to be someone who runs to meet the need and, and see something that needs to be done and just rolls up your sleeves and gets involved. So that's awesome. You know, um, it's, interesting. It, it's interesting, Bob. I, I, I had a, a, a former coach um, uh, who was the head coach that, that I worked with for years and years and years. And, and he, he once called me a gap filler. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you see a gap and you fill it. And, and it's so interesting. And I know we'll get into this, but just as it relates to kind of career, career work, you know, what are you doing to fill gaps and make yourself valuable? But that's, we'll get into that. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. Well, might as well just touch on something super quick. So that's one of the things that we talk about at Career Club is, you know, what is your unique value proposition? What are the problems that you solve? or the opportunities you help the company take advantage of. And if you don't know what that is, are you really filling gaps? Yeah. So I think that that's a, that's a great way of, exp- I'm going to start expressing it that way to clients. <laughs> I really like that gap filler. Um, so for folks who are not familiar with EW scripts, can you just maybe describe some of the brands and then the double click on that is and what your role is just a little bit more in detail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, EW Scripps is a, it's a really fantastic company with a, just an unbelievable history. Um, started back in the 1870s with the, the Penny Press, which was really the, the first newspaper that was designed for, uh, the working class. Um, and it was, uh, based in Cleveland. Um, and, you know, fast forward all these years later, um, through, so much change. I mean, in my 16 years, there's been really three transformational transactions that we've done um, uh, just in my 16 years as a company. And so, uh, you know, it's been a great opportunity for me to, to participate in that and to learn and to, you know, flex, you know, different muscles that, you know, that it takes to go through those things. Um, but from a company standpoint, it's been really interesting to watch um, our company leadership, you know, that's changed over time, of course. Um continually look at kind of what's, where do we need to go next? Um, you know, as, <clears throat> as news and information is 
consumed by, you know, obviously various people and now hundreds of different ways um, versus, you know, what it was even 20 years ago. So we own, we're based here in Cincinnati. We own local TV stations throughout the country. Um, we're in you know, 60 plus TV stations and 30 plus markets now. Um, we own some national networks as well, like ION. Um, <clears throat> most people would know us um, and actually uh, coming up uh, uh, by the, is the uh, Scripps National Spelling Bee. Yes. Uh, so that's that's a that's a Scripps property as well. Um, so we you know we exited the newspaper business in 2015, um, but prior to that, so when I first got here, we were um, still big in the newspaper business. Um, we've been in the radio business in the past um, and, and exited that as well. So now it's really uh, TV and uh, you know both local and national networks uh, in, in the Spelling Bee, and then also uh, the Scripps Howard Foundation as well, uh, which is kind of our philanthropic arm. Okay. And so, and then your role as a VP of people services and insights. Yeah. So, you know, every few years, if you've been around the HR space, we, you know, we, we come up with new fancy names for things we do. Most people would think of what I do as, as HR operations. Um, so it's, it's HR technology. So we're a, we're a workday shop, both on the HR and financial side. So the team that administers workday reports up through me. So HR and financials um, technology, um, I have what you would truly consider kind of back office um, HR compliance. So HR, uh, uh, payroll, you know, payroll tax, uh, dealing with, you know, all the different union stuff that we deal with as well and processing payments and all the withholdings. So all of that stuff, we try to kind of, we, years ago when we did our HR transformation project, we wanted to pull as much administration out of the field as possible and centralize that or source it. And and, and we've done that. So we also manage the relationship with uh, companies that we outsource uh, various services to. And then the last part, of what reports to me is uh, the insights portion. And so uh, I have a uh, director of uh, HR insights who, you know, I was really tasked him with two things. Tell us something about our people that we don't already know. And we need to start measuring the effective effectiveness of HR programs. Um, just uh, recently um, I've added a member to the team as well. That's um, our director of employee experience. And so that's another, just another, uh, a lot of employee listening, um, which is more insights into the organization as well. And he and um, the, my insights guy uh, work very closely together on that. So that's, so, that's kind of what makes up my group. So HR operations and, and insights, I'm really interested in both. When we've spoken before, Kevin, and you just alluded to it a minute ago, like the company continues to go through transformations, making acquisitions, exiting businesses, I mean, that is a lot. And of course, people are coming in and out uh, of the company. You've got integrations, you've got divestitures, right? And trying to keep up with all that stuff. At a high level, if if somebody's listening to this and maybe specifically if they're in HR operations or or more broadly, you know, have oversight over HR issues, and maybe even more generally with kind of change management, Mm -hmm. what are some guiding principles for you that like, keep the wheels on the bus so this thing doesn't crash while we're trying to, to get it to the next place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, change doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, it, it's changed in the organization and it really has to be managed by, you know, not just HR, not just, you know, corporate communications, not just leadership. It, it really takes, uh, you know, a, a lot of people coming together to, to pull right. through that. Um, you know, I, I think a couple of things that have made us successful here at Scripps um, and, and me personally successful with all of the uh, you know transactions that we've done is establishing relationships outside of my group. 
um, and not not working in a vacuum. So I, I work uh, very closely with our IT group. I work very closely with our finance and accounting group to make sure that anything that we're doing um, doesn't adversely impact them and vice versa. Uh, and that, that we always kind of go in lockstep with um you know, everything we're doing, you know, our systems and our processes and people, they're, they're so intertwined. You, you can't, um, it, you could very easily uh, unravel something uh, unintentionally if you're not on the same page. So I would say that that to me, it has been a guiding principle of mine, you know, from the beginning is you have to establish those relationships and work together well uh, with, with people, you know, in terms of, you know, change management, I, I think, the the first thing, and and I, you know, I subscribe to a a, a fairly simple version of change management, um, and and I won't steal this. It came from a, a gentleman named Chris McGough, um, but it's really about just gaining agreements on on some critical elements, like what's at stake, why are we doing this, and sometimes there's a transactional element to it that's mm-hmm. triggering something like, oh well, we bought this entity, so therefore, you know, we have to do that. It's going to close on this date, and you know, whatever. So those things make sense. And then sometimes there are just things that we as a company feel that we need to do this to remain competitive or take advantage of an opportunity or whatever that may be. But like, what's at stake? Why are we doing this? And understand under truly understanding where you are now and where you are going to be or where you need to be and getting the agreement on what that looks like, kind of the path to get there from, from one point to the other. Um, and, and making sure that, Again, that core group of folks that really need to work together, understand all that and agree, you know, on on those things, I think is uh, super critical. And uh, I can tell you it's been we've been very successful with it. We've been through some our transactions aren't just transactions in and of themselves. I'll give you, for example, when I first came to Scripps, we were working through our HR transformation, what we called our HR remodel. We owned HGTV at the time. So it was kind of a play on that. and uh, as we were working through the HR remodel, which was a multi-year project, um, we decided to split the company. So we, you know, it, things like that. When we were deploying Workday, which was you know, a, with HR financials and everything, we went live with, which is about an eighteen-month project. By the time we got everything live, we were acquiring three companies or three different um, uh, companies at the same time um, over that period of time. Wow. So when you're going through not only just the initial change, but kind of the other changes that are happening around you that impact you, you better stay on the same page with, um, you know, with, with that core group. So quick question. Um, you know, first thing you said was relationships. And then second thing I heard you say was kind of gaining agreement on yeah. you know, we're here and we need to get to there. How do you manage disagreement? So if I'm going to throw finance under the bus for yeah. a second, but you know, Absolutely. finance is like, no, this is too expensive. No, you got to do this cheaper. Like we can't afford this whatever the objection might be. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, but to do this right, it costs so much money, or this will be highly disruptive mm-hmm. to people. And yeah. finance is like, well, people's interesting, but I care about profit. But like, how do you manage conflict? Yeah, I, I so it, it's so interesting. So fast forward from the HR transformation, um, uh, which was 
2000, between 2007 and 2009. And, you know, when, when I first arrived at Scripps and then um, around 2013 or, or 14, um, we, we started a finance and accounting transformation in the company, which very same principles that we were trying to do HR, trying to pull administration out of the field and really focus on value added work in the field. Um, and I was asked to help with with that project, even though I, I have no finance and accounting background. Uh, but I said, sure. And the first thing um, th- that I looked for. So at the time we had outsourced a, a, a significant amount of back office accounting work as well. And that also wasn't going so well. Um, and so the first thing that I looked at was, why are we doing this? Why did we say we were doing this? And it was, hey, we are going to we were going to transform the way we did things. Well, we didn't transform the way we were doing things. Therefore, it wasn't working very, you know, that mm-hmm. portion of the project wasn't working out very well. So I met with our CFO at, at the time and our controller and I, and we just established a, a few guiding principles. And, and that that's where you have to start. Why are we doing this? Forget the ROI. Just why are we doing it? Why do we think this is a good idea? Because if we don't get agreement on that, mm-hmm. then you're going to fight about every little decision um, kind of a funny story that I tell out of that project is, <clears throat> so I asked I, I asked our CFO at the time, and this was just beautiful. Um, he, I said, why are we doing this? Like, what what's your vision? And he said, accounting transactions should be done by accountants and financial analysis should be done by finance professionals. And I'm like, that sounds simple enough. Wrote that down. That becomes guiding principle number one. Mm-hmm. So, Fast forward, you know, months down the road as we're having conversations about, hey, we're going to change this. We're going to change this. And we got agreement from leadership on that statement. Every time somebody would say, well, no, I think Bob should continue to do. No, no, no. Accounting transactions will be done by accountants. We all agreed to this. And to the point where, I mean, we got more mileage out of that one sentence <laughs> than I can get just about anything. But to the point where he actually came back to me at one point, and he said, I feel like we tricked people. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, since they agreed to this, they can't disagree on these smaller decisions down the road. And I said, I said, I don't think we tricked people. We're just constantly pointing back to our North Star because you're going to get lost in the weeds. You're going to get lost in the woods of all the minutia that needs to be decided on. And if you don't have that North Star to look at, you're going to get lost. And all of a sudden, a 10-month project becomes a 25-month project and mild, mildly, if successful at all, if you don't always go back to what your guiding principles were. So for me, if you don't start there, you're kind of asking for trouble. No, it's cool because, I mean, again, zooming out a little bit, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, mission and vision kind of work, mm-hmm. right? It's like Absolutely. Work and values. It's like, well, if you don't know those things, then you do get really lost very quickly mm-hmm. in the minutia because you, you don't have something that's leading you in a certain yeah. direction. I think that's awesome. Well, one of the things that we had talked about in, in earlier conversations um, is, and you even kind of just mentioned this a minute ago, like when projects aren't going the way they're supposed to go or something's happening. Do you mind sharing the principle that you shared with me from the book Range about firefighters and their tools? Oh, yeah. So just that, that and that one really jumped out at me when I read this book. I highly recommend the book Range um, to, to your listeners as well. Um, but basically, the, it's the principle of dropping your tools. And um, so the the kind of the real world application of this in, in the book um, is, is a very sad one, but um, it's about firefighters that get dropped into forest fires and literally they get dropped into the middle and there's fire all around them um, and, and they uh, do their thing. 
<clears throat> each one has a specialty, whether it's a chainsaw, whether it's not, like they have some kind of special tool that they carry. And occasionally there will be a call out on the radio that says, drop your tools and run. Like the winds have shifted or something's happened. Um, the fire's coming at you. And um, the ones that drop their tools and run, they, they you know, survive and some do not survive. And they, they said they routinely find them holding on their tools. And, you know, when you're carrying a 50 pound chainsaw or something that slows you down. So, um, you know, the analogy that it was making kind of to the business world is we all come to projects, to, you know, initiatives, whatever it is to work every day. We all come with our tools and our tools are the things that we have found to be successful in the past. But so you've got to be willing to drop your tools to find a, a, a better tool or a better way um, to, to get out of a situation. And I, I just I, I love the analogy because um, I think it's really important on, on all of us to, to remain humble, um, even though this may have been successful in the past. Every situation is kind of unique, um, e- even even acquisitions. I mean, in my time here at Scripps, we're, we're, we've done 30 plus you know transactions and while I approach them all from a high level with the same idea, everyone is unique. Everyone's going to have unique challenges and, and you got to be willing to drop your tools to an extent and say, okay, wh- what do we need to be successful with this one? 